Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. It's Monday, September 14th. We're off to a pretty funny start behind the scenes before we get into this, but uh, 20 years ago today, Microsoft gave us Windows Millennium Edition. Blessed us with. Yeah. Did any of y'all use that? Oh, I, yeah. did. I did. I, I extensively used it. Absolutely. For about a year until we got XP? Yeah. Yeah. I might have even used it a year into XP. Yeah. about it. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Wow. Okay. So for those of y'all that are, uh, that are listeners, regular listeners, you might have just heard a unique voice here. Well, we're all meeting a new friend. His name is Chris Short. Hello, everyone. Hey, I'm Chris Short. I work at Red Hat on the OpenShift team. Uh, I am also a Kubernetes contributor. I work with SIG ContribX and specifically right now the upstream Kate's marketing team and getting that onboarded. And I've been in the Kubernetes community for a few years. I've been in DevOps for even longer. And prior to that, I was in the Air Force doing the DevOpsy stuff there. So yeah, um, cool. been in the industry a while now. Yeah, that's quite the ped- pedigree. Thanks for joining us. Chris, you and I may have indirectly worked together. I was a comm shadow on 1.19. Um, so that's interesting. I did I didn't do anything with the 1.19 release other than like the Kate's marketing like bits, like yes, we should help them, right? Like but other than that, I've applied to be a shadow this release um to help integrate those two teams during the release process so if you're not familiar with the kubernetes release process right like there's individual roles the idea is to automate the entire process right so there's this new kubernetes upstream marketing team that's designed to get kubernetes contributor information out there on a broader scale wider impact kind of thing and the release team generates a ton of information during the release but it's not disseminated in the best most consumable way right like you <laughs> the, often the slack is is pretty messy yeah the slack is <laughs> messy and uh the release notes are great but that's like after the release right like if you need to know like oh my gosh there's a potentially breaking change coming to my infrastructure right because we'll get into this probably later in the show about how people are running their kubernetes clusters right now but like there are unique features in kubernetes right now that are gonna go away and be or change versions and become stable and you'll have to address them in a certain different way, right? So, like, broadcasting those changes as quickly and early as possible is part of my main goal in, you know, being a comm shadow, but also automating the links between the comms team and the marketing team so that, like, they just say, hey, put in a PR here, and then emails and tweets and everything else go out kind of thing, right? Yes, um, please. Yeah, plus, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, two quick things, two quick things. Uh, first off, if y'all are picking up what Chris is throwing down here, you can follow him at Chris Short on Twitter. Don't make mm-hmm. it complicated. That's exactly what it that, is. Chris yes, Short. as as somebody asked on Twitter the other day, explain your Twitter name to everybody. And I said, <sighs> some lady gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, the other thing, what is this shadow stuff you're talking about for people that aren't in that game? Yes. So the release team is like a really kind of prestigious thing, right? Like people being on the release team for like after the 1.0 up until recently often got job offers immediately after, right? So it got to the point where people were, there was like a deluge of people trying to like get into the release. So there was a process set up so that continuity 
and that a good bench of potential, you know, release team members uh, were available, right? That could be tapped if, you know, the time was right for them and, you know, the release was scheduled, schedule aligned with theirs kind of thing. So we developed the shadow program, which was to teach people how to do this job officially, should they ever have to take over at some point, right? And often what happens is with the shadows is they pick up some of the slack that the main uh, facilitator can't pick up. So there's certain roles within the release team, like communications is one of them. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, different responsibilities throughout the entire release process that uh, need human touching right now. And that is often helped by more humans touching it than just one, right? More ideas are better than just one idea kind of thing. So that's the shadow process in and of itself is to A, build a deeper bench of people that we can tap for the release process in the future. And then B, have continuity between releases, right? Like a shadow can go from a shadow one release to the primary, the second release. And then there's a new shadow with them and the cycle just continues, right? So there's always this kind of familiarity with the release process and there's not this constant upheaval every release with a new process changes. Yeah, and it's important to note that there's a there's really a position for everyone within the mm -hmm. Kubernetes release team. Um, it is very competitive to get in. Um, the, the process for applying is relatively extensive. I mean, you need to give a significant amount of information as to why you want to be and should be on the release team for any given role. Right. But the, uh, it's funny, I, I actually didn't think I was going to get selected. I was very surprised when I did. And it's just, there's there's a whole host of stages that, that happen within one release. Mm -hmm. And any individual role will be very busy during a specific area of the release. Some of them will be busy the entire time. But like for the comms shadow, what I did, which is for the communications portion, that's obviously what the comms is for, right. was very, very busy during kind of the, the final sprints of the, of the release, the very, mm -hmm. the very ending portion of it as we're getting ready to work with the CNCF for the feature blog posts, the overall blog posts, getting things like podcasts set up, stuff like that. Like that's... That happens for, for our team at the very, very end, which technically we're actually still working through um, right. right now for, for 1.19, even though the release has, has technically already happened. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize the release process actually extends. It's for the entire 1.19.x, right? That's yep. that it. X, yeah, or Y, whatever. For the entire release, right? Like for the entire 1.9 branch that's the team so if somebody wants to do a podcast with the maintainers right they reach out to the comms lead for that release um yep. not reach out to max right ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, max well hey uh, you guys have mentioned cncf a couple of times so let me help our listeners again uh cloud native computing foundation do you want to uh give a quick commercial on that I, I most definitely can. I am a CNCF ambassador, as a matter of fact, and and that's kind of a nebulous term uh, and to a lot of people. But what it basically means is that I act as, you know, I, wear, I tell people I wear many hats at Red Hat, but I act as an ambassador to help uh, people understand and then onboard them in some cases to the community and to engage with the entire breadth of Kubernetes and its ecosystem, which is kind of umbrellaed by the CNCF. Um, so the CNCF has multiple projects underneath it that aren't Kubernetes as well, and they need love too. And 
And those projects include things like etcd, which power, you know, Kubernetes under the hood, um, you know, maintains the the state and logic and reason behind everything, right? Like, so those uh, don't live in like vacuums, right? Like those need to have, you know, vibrant communities of people working with them. And CNCF ambassadors are there to kind of help bring people on, help broadcast the message, help engage the greater community in, you know, kind of just like knowing where the right skill sets are when people are needed um, is part of my job, which is kind of fun, right? Like I know that Caslin Fields was awesome at doing like tweeting and all kinds of social media stuff. And it was like, well, I'm not awesome at that. I'm okay at it. But if I need a shadow on this team that I could quickly promote, she would be it. And like tapping her for the upstream marketing team was the best decision ever because it allowed me to be like, holy crap, work just got crazy. Uh, can you just take this over? And it was just as natural from shadow to lead fit done like within a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, that's awesome. often all it takes uh, for that shadow. Yeah, there's a whole too. bunch of uh, incubating yeah, projects in there. Um, it's, it's, it's right. yeah, the, I kind of digressed a little bit there, but yeah, the, the incubating projects include everything from observability and monitoring to, you know, really core DNS type things uh, like core DNS itself. Um, interesting how I said that. Uh, the, uh, the projects that are in the CNCF sandbox or are graduated or incubating are all in the purview of CNCF ambassadors. So to some extent, they're involved in those projects as well. And it's not just um, like somebody writing a newsletter like myself, yeah. for example. Right? <laughs> you have ones like uh, CNI at CD, uh, Harbor. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Thanos. That was the first one I saw. I, I was a little bit nervous scrolling down to read about that one. <laughs> I was like, what is Thanos going to do here? Uh, enable yeah, global you weren't supposed to know about that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, somebody's going to hit the big red button. Yeah. It, it is hard to express how important, you know, bodies like the CNCF are. Uh, I actually, I did a, a Kubernetes training for the, the top sales teams uh, at SHI, maybe four or five weeks ago. I don't even know. It could have been months ago. It's covid blends everything together it's march 149th <clears throat> yes yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh and i use the cncf they kind of have this uh palette of all the different projects that are inside of it and i kind of use that to explain kind of where we were today where we were going things our customers are largely focusing on and so it's just it's, it's the if you haven't worked with anything in the open source world just knowing that the the lack of governance is often a problem, and the CNCF is, in, in many ways, sort of a centralized governing body to a degree for open source projects. So this structure that's in place is very, very important for how how these projects not only get noticed and on the map, but sort of are, are maintained over time. And it's just incredibly important uh, to, to have something like that with inside of this space that affects at least, you know, our industry on this call. So, you know, hugely all of the time. Yeah. The, and it's great to see projects uh, still applying to be in the, the sandbox and the incubating process, because what they're doing essentially is saying, you know, we are in line already with a lot of the CNCF way of thinking. Uh, we don't want to have to necessarily worry about that anymore, right? Like that's a lot of overhead sometimes because it includes like contributor agreements and uh, code of conducts and all kinds of stuff that like isn't necessarily like in your wheelhouse of core skill sets. So 
saying that you're going to take the advice of the CNCF and adopt that in your community is is very, you know, open and telling and in a lot of ways helpful to those teams because they can say, well, we can now rely upon this higher level being to do the right thing for us and we can contribute, you know, our voice into that as well. That's neat. It's actually, I mean, it's interesting because I've I've seen the CNCF landscape, and of course, it, it is. Well, that's a whole other thing. Interesting, <laughs> super interesting, you know, just visual of how complex and interesting everything is that's going on. But sort of seeing it as an overarching, almost community driver for for how these projects come to be, and then sort of I don't know, just the ground rules for trying to help the community mm-hmm. be successful is actually is actually really neat. Yeah, like a lot of people don't even realize there's a CNCF service desk powered by service now, right? Like, (laughs) like if I need help with something, I get told, go to the service desk. And the same would apply to maintainers or anything else, right? Like if you need something, a blog post, or you need help with uh, an issue that might involve, you know, resources that, you know, you need to run testing with, right? Like you would engage the CNCF for that, not like try to do it on your own. So there's a lot of benefit for those projects you know not just the the exposure and the marketing or whatever you know that set that aside there is a ton of benefit to just being part of the ecosystem right yeah and i think that this is a really good transition point because i I saw in our notes that we put here buley you put sort of an upcoming of upcoming tech events thing that we could probably run through and there's one that's actually not on there and that is uh kubecon yeah, uh, which is November 17th through the 20th. And that is actually the flagship conference from the CNCF. But everyone probably knows what KubeCon is for the most part. I think a lot of us have probably heard about that, but maybe don't know its tie-in to the CNCF. So uh, it looks like we have some other ones on here as well. Buley, you want to kind of run down the ones that were sticking out to you? Yeah, man. I'm just giving a heads up on some of the upcoming tech events. Uh, usually I just pull these from techmeme.com. So if y'all are on uh, and you're curious about these in the future, just go there. Um, although they they seem to miss some of the ones that I feel are important. I don't know. I, I wonder how they judge it. They, I think it's submission-based, but yeah. Oh, it's submission. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, then I need to start submitting. Yeah. Instead of <laughs> <Yeah>. complaining. <laughs> but, Contribute. Uh, yeah, so uh, this week you've got the Gartner Security and Risk Management Summit. Uh, you also have TechCrunch Disrupt. Both of those uh, are now virtual. Tomorrow is the Apple Virtual Media Event. Let's mm. see. Also tomorrow you've got earnings for Adobe. And then when, uh, no, what's today? Monday? My goodness. Yeah, Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday, yeah. Facebook Connect. That's a big one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Daniel, if you're listening, we know you are. Yeah. Get ready for it. Dude, so I saw the Oculus 2 news, or we yeah. talked about it last week, and then I saw a leak this morning that said it would have a 4K display. Uh, I thought huge. I said almost 4K, which was oh, a did weird say way almost to 4K. state that. Oh, I think so. Oh, I weird. did, I did. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that means. Does that mean 2K? Does that mean 2K? Right. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about the screen on the Oculus? Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, about. so that's actually driving towards 4K. Like, if you look at some of the other headsets out there, like HPE's Reverb G2, it has actually two 4K um, screen. It's 4K per, per eye. 
which is actually sort of an area that we have to get to to eliminate the screen door effect as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. There's other things that go into that, like the way you like using LCD to have more sub pixels as well. But there's, mm. it's very, very like the resolution is the thing that we are really, really having to drive much, much higher in VR in order to get to what you would consider computer monitor levels of like visual clarity. And once we get oh, there, that's going to be a very big game changer. Dude, well, you just said the screen door effect. I hadn't heard that term before, but that so perfectly describes what it yep. feels like right now. Yeah, I think you mentioned one time, you're like, it'd be nice if the new headset had a better resolution or something so it would be a little bit more sharp. And, and that lack of sharpness is really just you being so close. So to close. The so more yeah. pixel density equals less, you know, more sharpness, less of that screen door effect. You don't notice it, right? Yeah. yeah well, absolutely. this is why people should watch the, the Apple events where the parts where they're talking about how they built the screen. Right. Like that's why that's important. Right. Like because yeah. that drives a lot of the like th- that technology, those those discoveries there drive a lot of the like single display kind of like how good can we make this display like nits and all the bits and pieces of that are so important. Yeah, there's there's a lot of tech that goes into um, these the, the way the screen works yeah. and the lenses and, and everything. It's it's mm-hmm. insane, but that's by far the most important part of the visual experience is how we balance that. But the issue is is how do you drive it? I mean, to drive mm-hmm. two four K screens, that's a lot, especially yeah. especially from the standpoint of a Quest, which is self contained. Right. I mean, you're not you're not doing that. It's just not going to happen. You're right gonna need now. My, my desktop will struggle right? with that. Yeah. Know? Exactly. So, Chris, I want to get your take on. So two of the biggest things I saw in the news uh, over this weekend and into today, we can talk Oracle and TikTok, or we can talk uh, NVIDIA acquiring ARM for 40 billion. I want to talk about both. Yeah. Throw out some opinions on either of those. So I think NVIDIA acquiring ARM is very interesting. Uh, I think ARM is the chipset of the future. But now that NVIDIA NVIDIA has acquired them, I'm not sure about that. Um, So that's kind of scary uh it'll be interesting to see what the british government does there um because nvidia is well arm is partly owned by the british government so i'm not sure yeah. if they're going to sign off on that right them so, and softbank yeah um yeah. well and this makes softbank the way that deal was structured makes softbank the largest owner, shareholder yeah. shareholder of nvidia yeah. right that's that's how that's going to work out that's really interesting as well that is yeah that's like super terrifying but i think that's I also catch that they would yeah, be the largest shareholder either. of Nvidia. Yeah, because so the, the way the deal is structured is forty billion, but there's only twelve yeah. billion in cash. The rest is Nvidia stock or shares. Yeah. So that makes them. It's the single. I don't. It's not a controlling interest, but it makes them the single larger, single largest investor, which obviously gives them flexibility to uh, influence. Well, that's probably better than NVIDIA being the single largest investor. So maybe my take on this has changed during this call. Interesting. Um, yeah, it sounds like they structured it so that they could. Because what was the the article I was reading was basically saying when um, SoftBank made the investment in ARM, it was saying this is going to be the future of sort of their, you know, chipset, mm-hmm. right? That like everything that they're going to do is going to be centered around that. So this on the surface sounded really disruptive to that sort of vision. But mm-hmm. then you look and you see that they have a you know, significant interest in NVIDIA now. That's right. uh, quite probably not the case. So I think ARM still has quite the future. In it, it's it's probably NVIDIA. important 
sorry, and sorry to interrupt okay. you, but I just want to make sure that we don't we don't miss the point of like why some people might be concerned about Nvidia owning them. And, and I'll just preface this up front that I am not at all. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people are concerned from the standpoint of ARM does not manufacture chips; they no. provide designs right. and licenses design to and do licensing. it. No. Nvidia does. Yeah, they Nvidia do manufacture. Yeah. Exactly. And so people are concerned about someone who is largely a neutral pot party and in all of the you know various chips that go in internet of things devices cell phones tablets soon to be apple devices i mean they're concerned about a not someone soon to actually, be they're already in apple devices it's just apple well, laptops yeah right <laughs> and so th- that's that's the point is like they're concerned about a, a fabricator having that controlling you know of the yeah. of the arm technology there and and i honestly I do not believe that NVIDIA is buying ARM in order to be the sole uh, supplier of them. I think they're going to keep a similar business model. But I, I, it's interesting to see what their primary efforts are around. NVIDIA is, is really looking to enhance something that they actually play very well in, which is like AI, ML-type workloads, um, mm-hmm. and then expanding into other areas where they don't play as well, um, IoT, um, and obviously, Storage. you know, yeah, supplying yeah. all of these... These other areas that, you know, quite frankly, some of their competitors, AMD is a competitor of theirs, mm-hmm. competes at least at least to some degree in this space, although in the x86 world. Intel, which is less of a competitor of theirs, uh, at least from the GPU uh, perspective. Not for long. <laughs> they're, 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 they're working on it for the, the third time. We'll see if third time's a charm yeah. Uh, so th- that's just kind of the the perspective that people have is the concern. Because I, I, I've seen a lot of people that have been very concerned about it. And then a lot of other people have been like, why are you so concerned about it? And one mm-hmm. one other perspective I saw was people just not wanting an American company to to own ARM. Uh, that, yeah. That's, I guess, more of a I don't like America type of thing. America. So, oh. But I, I don't have that same perspective, I guess, being. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. I mean, I'm not surprised by that, and that doesn't bother me. But right. um, they're, they're more than welcome to have that opinion. Yeah, but like my concern was more so NVIDIA acquiring ARM and then like not making it exclusive it, but like yeah making it more like oh to unlock these features right like to make it more like a tesla where it's like you have to pay a little bit more to get like to get the same thing that's on the chip but like unlock a feature you got to pay a little bit extra for this license to unlock that feature that was my concern um yeah and who knows if that's you know what they'll ultimately do i i will tell you that my if i were to if i were to have any concern It'd be limited, but as a you know, open source advocate, fan, um, user, contributor, whatever you want to call it, Nvidia is not overly kind to the open source community, to put nope. it lightly. And so, with ARM, you know, being an area that of, of focus in computing, it will be and has been embraced by the open source community. And and how much will that be affected? Uh, it's, it's worth noting that say things like desktop Linux, like Nvidia graphics cards actually work perfectly fine they just require proprietary drivers mm-hmm. which sort of is counterintuitive to the open source mantra right so that that's that's an area that i i think there's genuine concern about that i i actually think it warrant is warranted just because of their history do you think yeah. the 40b is a good price tag i think that's low to be honest with you i low? i wow. actually yeah i think there they're was, getting there a was good speculation deal, that they're getting yeah. a good deal they're getting I, a I very good quite deal. a bit of that 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 people thought or that uh analysts as well think that that's uh that's a low price point. That's true. What's a handful of billion these days? 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about trillion dollar companies these days, man. Yeah. <laughs> Two trillion in Apple's case. All right. Well, uh, I guess speaking of licensing and maybe destroying things or not, uh, you want to switch over to Oracle and TikTok? <laughs> yes. Let's Lots do of it. opinions around this. <laughs> My goodness. Some politics related. It's very uh, politics related, yeah. which is very, very yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah. I've got um, a hot take I want to give at the end of, like, as we get to- towards the end of this section. Because this is this has been a roller coaster, man. So I mean, no, so I, like, this goes this then. goes way that's, back. That's an understatement. <laughs> this actually goes way back, right? Like Larry Ellison. This has Ellison. been a roller coaster in the last twelve hours, like, <laughs> right? So, Larry Ellison and the current uh, U.S. administration have a close relationship, and they are they tried to in, use that influence to affect the Jedi contract, which, if you're not familiar with, is a ten billion contract for. Pretty sure Microsoft storage. took that one home. Yeah, Microsoft took yeah. that one home. AWS is fighting it, but Microsoft was the natural choice once it was clear that Oracle threw their hat in the ring and was completely unqualified. And like the only <laughs> neutral player was literally uh, Microsoft at that point. So it made sense for you know DoD to go that route because um, it was just a big like just dumpster fire like the whole thing was just a dumpster fire and dod does not deal well with dumpster fires um they they typically steer away from them so this oracle tiktok thing is to me 100 politically motivated and it's very much like like king picking which is very much against my mantra so <laughs> i i think this is just nuts but that's just yeah. my opinion well, in the so, the nuance there is that Oracle won't actually own them. They will right. be a, a trusted tech partner. Yeah, it's like that's weird. so. We're so to if you're not familiar with how business works in China, you cannot, as an American or foreign entity or in, of any sort, work in China. You have to work with a trusted vendor, a trusted Chinese vendor. Um, so, like Cloudflare's ple- presence in China is not actually owned by Cloudflare; it's owned by someone else. Um, so, the same thing holds true for literally everything in China, right? So, we're literally doing the same thing to China that China does to us, which is not the right way to go about this if we're trying to get the Chinese nation to embrace more free market and democratic style thinking. That's sure. just my two cents. Well, you think about the way we teach our kids, you know, it's like you try to be the bigger person sort of thing. Um, right. You know, yeah. unless they keep punching you in the face, then maybe. Oh, I think that's back. what's happening here, Russ. I think everyone's trying to be the bigger. Anyway, it, yeah. it well, was, it, uh, it's just it's it's all it's all Cold War stuff. It feels like to me or positioning, global positioning from a it is global positioning country versus yeah. country kind of deal. Yeah, I, it absolutely I think is. That's exactly how this is. This is the new Cold War. It, Welcome to well, it. it. The old Cold War we, is still going on. But this yeah. new Cold War is tech in China. Well, and that's we talked about this on a previous show too. Um, it's it's interesting, uh, you know. That's per- particular take. It's an interesting perspective. But I feel like the U.S. in this case has a lot more to gain by backing China into a corner. Um, and so, seeing this play out is probably going to be, you know, more than popcorn fascinating it's so yes I, so what happens uh, uh what, I, I, go ahead go ahead sorry no i was just going to ask another question it sounds like you're going to make a statement i'm going to make a statement yes so uh <laughs> statistically speaking china has already surpassed the united states and i don't know whatever bible we've been reading over the past 200 something years but the united states does not have to be number one in everything um 
And China Blasphemy. has, yeah, China has statistically passed us in damn near every economic category over the past few years. And that has weakened our global position on top of the weakening of our intelligence apparatus and the weakening of our general forces uh, after the Cold War. Uh, it has essentially democratized the playing field technology has. Um, and the fact that so much is available and so much is open and so much is out there now, there's not a lot to distinguish countries from each other technologically. The only thing that the U.S. has that China is still working on is a massive intelligence apparatus. China has that within their own borders, but they do not necessarily have that with outside of their borders. They're taking a very different approach than the U.S. did. Uh, the U.S. is taking that analog approach of we'll just pick up the signal from the sky kind of thing. Uh, the Chinese are taking a very different approach in the we're going to own the freaking hardware that you're running on. Right. We're gonna- um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that is the the biggest, I think, scare for the U.S. intelligence community is the fact that China will have a direct tap while we can get direct taps in certain places that are friendly to us, the U the U S in general. Um, we do not own or have back doors necessarily into all the hardware. Um, yeah, that's, that's the funny part. What, what do you suppose happens in the, in the insides of this that make Oracle being a trusted partner that makes the U S government happy and okay with all this kind of stuff? What does Oracle change about all of this, whether it's, I mean, are they rewriting the software from the ground up? Is no, they're they're not- merely changing ownership, and it's it's literally a hat. It's a hat shuffle at that. Yeah, but well, I mean, to that point, like, does that solve the problem? No, it does not solve the problem. It yeah. does not actually solve the problem. The data right. still ends up in mainland China. That that is the real problem that the tr- the, the the administration is trying to worry about is that U.S. data is in China. No. Yeah. The problem is, is that the Chinese will still have that direct tap on your phone. And like, this is why my daughter doesn't have it. This is why it's blocked in my house. This is why I don't encourage people to download it, is that you don't know what happens to that data after it lands in mainland China. You don't. If you if, if that data is here in the U.S., you know, if it gets exfilled, it's probably going to get exfilled through a very legal agreement at that point. Right. Which there's going to be structure around it versus now you have no idea what's getting exfilled from, you know, your phone. Hmm. So uh, it, it, in just to give an interesting spin on this, not to say that, you know, nothing we've talked about isn't valid. Like <laughs> I said, this has been a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oracle is not buying TikTok. So oh, they dropped out. Wait, what? Within two hours of that report, oh there gosh. was a change that. So I don't know if you guys know about this, but the Chinese government changed their laws. They did they in order to yeah. institute themselves into this deal, That's uh, awesome. which must be nice that they can just do whatever they want. That's and they they decided that neither Microsoft nor Oracle would get to buy TikTok. Well, that happened literally two hours. They, they rejected our bid as well. TBP yes. tried to buy uh, TikTok, but they said no. Yeah, we, well, we did put in a Chinese bid. government's not like going to let go of TikTok. Uh, folk, no, you're you know. joking, but at this point, we should just make an offer. <laughs> I mean, I, it's we, not going to be news. very good uh, financially for them, but why not? <laughs> so here, here begs the question. Um, well, Russ, you're, you just saying, you're just saying that this, this is the tech or this is the trusted tech partner side of the news, right? That's what you're saying? 
Yeah, I'm saying that Oracle is not getting any of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like they're so not like they, they the Chinese state came out and said Microsoft nor Oracle will get to buy TikTok's US assets. That's awesome. I mean, uh, it's, it, this is the, the popcorn this is, piece of this, right? Yeah. Like, this, this, is so this is the Cold War. Yeah. It's so geopolitical and so not you know technologically related. It, obviously, the underpinnings are exactly what you're talking about. The, you know, the, the state of data or where it is, who owns it, how they get it, that sort of stuff. And then the fear that comes along with that and the control. But it's it is very interesting to watch this unfold. That's wild that it's changing that quickly too. I know. And if anyone's wondering where this is coming from, it's coming from TechCrunch. So it's a it's a fairly fairly decent reputable. Yeah, TechCrunch is a very reputable site. I have a friend that works there. Yeah. yeah, and so it's so it's interesting because what I, what I view this as is China calling Trump's bluff. And so yes. here's the next piece is 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 so the deadline, uh, which was originally scheduled for the 20th of this month based on the 45-day outcome, Trump actually believes it's tomorrow because um, he maybe he thought he said 40 days and not 45. But apparently, he, he gave TikTok a deadline but doesn't know what that deadline is, um, is, is what why, sort of came out recently. Why is that not surprising to anybody? <laughs> so so, so either, either tomorrow or uh, I think Saturday or Sunday, one yeah. of the two, by next week. We will know whether or not uh, there's actually going to be a ban on TikTok in the U.S. And I guess, to be honest, I don't actually know how. Uh, does Trump actually have the power to just ban something? I think I've through had that executive order, he can say DNS records within the borders of the United States can be you know, null rotted a century. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. I just I so, don't like that. I don't. I don't like that. That's a power that the U.S. government has because it's it's the same. It, it's, thing it's the that same power that every country use. has, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. I realize <laughs> it's there. It's just using it is different than having the, the right. switch. Right. That's the I mean, problem. Is, these are this these is... are the same ways that some countries shut down mm-hmm. the internet when people start yeah. protesting, and it's it's just we are moving in that direction. Yes. Well, you know what's great, Tyler, is that on this podcast, you can say, I don't like that the U.S. government has that power. Yep. You can't say that and on I this podcast like in China. This is true. So. And and I will continue to like that I am allowed to say that and express that opinion openly. So, yeah. So, pretty crazy stuff in the span of, like I said, 12 hours. Um, That's crazy. Just all, all sorts of things out there. And then I think even Microsoft had pointed out whenever they got their bid denied, they someone from Microsoft said... Um, China is not giving up this asset. No, they're not. There's no way in hell they're going to give up TikTok. It's their most popular uh, app ever. The Chinese people are incredibly pl- prideful in their work. They, you know, they have they have learned, you know, from generations after generations of you know pride in work. Um, they know this. They know all the dimming things already, and it's been passed down to them through generation after generation. And they're not going to give up TikTok if it matters. <laughs> you know, like if they literally have to launch a nuclear weapon, they will not let go of TikTok. Like I mean, that is, let's that be is, it is it is literally that important to them. This is one of the few things that they've made that is not them copying someone else. And, right? And yeah, it's that's, very valuable. That's, that's In fact, point. we just saw another piece of news where the Feds very proudly. Uh, seized counterfeit Apple AirPods. At least that's what they <laughs> thought they were. <laughs> that was hilarious. This was funny. It's just unbelievable. Wait, so they... are you familiar with OnePlus, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so OnePlus 
uh, has some AirPod-like devices yeah, that obviously they look a lot like them. Mm-hmm. Well, the feds seized a shipment of them thinking they were <laughs> counterfeit Apple AirPods, and then they gloated about it. Yeah. And then OnePlus on Twitter said, they hey, give yeah. us those back. Or yeah. give us give those back. Give us our devices <laughs> back, you moron. Too good. <laughs> that is that was rich. I got a good giggle oh, out of that too. That's, that's so funny. That is really Just, hilarious. Uh, uh, your move, China. We've taken your counterfeit AirPods. I don't know if y'all have seen that uh, YouTube video where the police officer pulls over a guy in a in a Model Three, and he's like, "Hey, not. you can't mount your laptop to the dash." <laughs> <laughs> I'm so serious. Go look at it. Oh my gosh. It's just like this. That's it lasts built like this. <laughs> yeah. And the and the, the driver. Brilliant. I mean, it's so awesome. The whole thing's on video. <laughs> and then by the time he realizes what's going on, he's like, uh, I'm getting called to somewhere else. I gotta go. Oh my gosh, I'm Googling oh, it right well, now. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna have to watch that. That reminds oh, me a lot geez. of my last interaction Found with police. It. But anyways. Share the link, Russ. Uh, I'm not yeah. Googling that. There you go. It's in the chat. Thanks, buddy. Um, what else we got? Well, uh, I do. I got I, I to go. So y'all, uh, yeah, we cover a couple other things and then we got to shut this down. Okay. I've, uh, I can do real quick ones unless you got something, Chris. I, I just wanted to point out that I've got a new thing going now at Dollar Sign Job, uh, OpenShift TV. Uh, live streaming, all the fun Kubernetes things that I do at work. It's just for real life, uh, actual stuff now. So what is that COVID. dollar sign job? Dollar sign job. Uh, you know, I work at Red Hat. Um, so I do know that. yeah, I'm on the OpenShift <laughs> team. We have been, uh, you know, since COVID started, it's been a challenge to just talk to customers and just engage with people in general, right? Like it's harder, right? The, the barrier to entry to talk is higher. Um, to engage technically, like uh, on a one-to-one level or with a team of people, like in a workshop type setting or trying to solve some kind of problem is really hard nowadays. Um, so we decided, screw it. We're just going to do all of our work live. Um, so we launched OpenShift TV and now we have this whole bevy of shows that are talking about everything from, you know, disconnected installs of, you know, full-blown OpenShift clusters to, you know, building game applications on Kubernetes and OpenShift and what that would look like. And that's awesome. Yeah. Like that's, it's yeah. really cool. It's yeah, on it's, Twitch and YouTube and Facebook Live. I'm Googling it right now. Yeah. yeah. Just Very head to cool. OpenShift TV. It's everywhere, right? Like pick your favorite social network that we're streaming to. We just started streaming to Periscope, although I got to work some kinks out of that. Um, but yeah, like the, the, we, we are trying to meet people where they are, right? Like some people like YouTube Live, some people like Twitch, some people like, you know, whatever we're not judging you for that. We don't want you to sign up for anything either. We, we don't care. Just show up and talk. And you know, we've awesome. got, we've got this cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, like, really. So, you know, if you can go, you can go to the calendar there are red dot slash stream cal. Um, and you can see the whole lineup of events subscribe to individual, individual ones or the whole calendar if you want. Um, yeah, whatever. I've had all the time, and I didn't know this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the uh, OpenShift TV thing has actually been like a pretty good success for us, and we're really proud of it. So yeah, cool. Well, congrats. That's Thanks. awesome, yeah. man. That's, that is awesome. I think we're going to see more and more of that type of stuff in the future. Oh yeah, everybody yeah, else stood up their so. TV thing if they didn't have one already shortly yeah. after we did. So yeah, <laughs> is he hinting at a live <laughs> tech breakfast Ooh. podcast show? Ooh. What? 
just kidding. <laughs> this is super on cool. the R Cantwell Twitch channel, everyone. Subscribe. No, don't forget to use the three. Smash, All right. smash that like button. What else button. we got? Uh, so we were talking before the show, as I mentioned, we were kind of you know, laughing around, uh, laughing around. Who says laughing around? Like, you, do. you just did. You did. <laughs> you did that. Walmart brings back gateway computers. I thought, yeah, they did. Long gone. I'm ordering Wait, one. Wait, right what? Now. Walmart did what? what computers? Walmart <laughs> brought back the gateway computers. And no, it is not 1999. Shut up. You know, what's funny is I have a receipt for a gateway computer here in the basement. <laughs> like an original receipt from the 90s. But I thought it was done. Like I thought it was dead. Is the it plan. is dead? Like they went out of business like, a long time ago. Yeah. Gateway computers are back and better than ever. Why? They're packing both THX spatial audio and tuned by THX. That means a great picture and immersive sound. That's a tweet from THX. I don't so, get it. What? Why would it you? Why would you revive Gateway computer. for that? Why would you revive any dead brands? To, yeah, to why wouldn't you just? That? I don't understand. Why wouldn't you create yeah. a new brand name for that? Maybe they right. felt like they needed a PC that shipped in a box that looks like a cow. I, that's and all I that, can think. There was a market we were missing, and they knew it. And they, they there was already a brand. There was a patent. Roll with it. They had to. Yeah. yeah, there was some encumberment <laughs> with the patent that it had to always be used with the Gateway brand or something. You know, <laughs> yeah, Weird. they wanted cow printed boxes, and they couldn't have them, so they spent that their is... money and did that. Well, <laughs> even though Gateway is being resurrected and is no longer ended, I think that's a good one just to end the show on. That's not <laughs> oh, Yay, <man>. Gateway. <laughs> God. Shut it down, T. Let's go. Yeah, uh, I, I don't even know what to say about that, Gateway. I mean, I, I will never forget the iconic boxes, and apparently I will not be allowed to forget the iconic boxes because they are <laughs> making a revival for some unknown reason. And on that note, that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Thank Appreciate you. all your takes. Really interesting conversation, especially around the open source community and CNCF. Um, and uh, we hope everyone enjoyed those conversations. Give us feedback. Let us know what's up. Thanks for subscribing. Tell your friends. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you Wednesday. Later. <laughs>